0: Well, we once again, turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 12. So go ahead, open your Bibles, get them open up at Mark chapter 12. And just a note for next week, Ian Kirkby, an elder from TCM will be preaching and taking us through the first few verses of chapter 13. So it's my job today to finish off chapter 12 and allow Ian to be preaching into chapter 13 next week. But with our Bibles open today, we remember that last week we learned that Jesus was once again able to deal with the trap set before him by the religious leaders. In doing so, he gives us the greatest commandment to love God and to love others. It wasn't some kind of form of airy-fairy love, but a deep whole life commitment to love God and love others. And what we saw was that shocked the religious leaders. But more than that, it compelled some of them to recognise that the words of Jesus were indeed the words of God. Now, when we applied that to our own lives, we had that stark reality, didn't we, that so many of us are apathetic towards God and really ultimately towards one another. And the call from God to us is to be all in, fully committed to God, fully committed to others, and allow the love of Christ to flow through us and towards others. As we come now to these final verses of chapter 12, we have two short sections, yet both point to the same thing, real service and real giving. Notice I use the word real because many of us serve the Lord and even give our finances to the Lord, but not many of us do it in a biblical and God-honouring way. So today we're going to see how a widow's actions not only guides us to see what real giving is, but what it means to live our lives for King Jesus. So we're going to be looking at real service and real giving using the widow as our example. With that in mind, let's jump into our passage. We're going to head to verse 38, just moments after Jesus has asked the scribes a question. Verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at feasts. Through this Mark teaching series, we've seen how the scribes, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees have become a symbol of hypocrisy. They like to have all the honour, all of the notoriety, but they never back this up with godly characteristics. It seems that Jesus has to get to the point with them where not only he declares their hypocrisy, but now he needs to warn others about their hypocrisy. These scribes enjoyed walking in the temple while wearing long robes. They viewed it as a sign of notability for you cannot walk fast in a long robe. Instead, you walk slowly, guiding and gliding through the temple courts, allowing the robe to flow and swish behind you. And as they slowly walk through the temple courts, people would look up and see these pious looking individuals with their long flowing robes and know that they were someone important. Further to these long robes, the scribes like to be greeted in the marketplace, a sign of an importance. People knew them and would greet them as great individuals. And it goes back to that saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. So filled with pride, the scribes loved the attention of being known and being sought out in the public realm. This is also then flowing into the synagogue where the scribes would take the very best seats. These seats would be right at the front of the synagogue so that everyone could see them and when at the feasts of the synagogue they would have the most prominent seats near the guest of honour to the left and to the right of the guest of honour. Now this wasn't like the theatre or the cinema where they were choosing the best seats to get the best view or the best sound quality of the Bible teaching at the time. The scribes, wanted to be seen. They wanted their authority to be known and they wanted the attention of a high ranking group of individuals. Now, it may sound unusual, but to this day, I still know of churches and certain church leaders in these churches that would flock to sit at the front row every single week, not as a sign of leadership, but as a sign that they are leaders and they are the select few that have attained the role and look at their authority and look at this group of individuals that are so important to the church. And so they flock to the best seats in the church. Let me be very clear, this is not a biblical practice. James 2 from verse 3, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, your fine clothes, your positions of authority, even your standing amongst people does not, will not, cannot bring a special treatment in God's church. That's what the scribes were doing. That's what some churches do, but it is not a biblical practice, but it's not exalting Jesus high. It's rather exalting yourself. And we know that Jesus declares that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Let's continue in Mark chapter 12 and from verse 40 who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Here is the hypocrisy of the scribes. While doing these things previously mentioned with their robes in the marketplace and where they sat at meals and in the synagogue, they grew in covetousness. They wanted more wealth and more riches for themselves. So they sought it from, in their minds, easy targets, the widows who came to the temple. The scribes would make long-winded, spiritually-sounding prayers. The idea being as, as the widows heard these prayers, they would be compelled to give to the work of the Lord. The issue was these prayers weren't offered to God, but they were offered to fellow man and women. It wasn't about communication with God, it was a sales pitch to get more money. These scribes were essentially robbing widows by looking spiritually pious and important to the point where the widows would give them money to continue their work. It was entirely a sales pitch that got them wealth and riches and a life of comfort. And notice how Jesus responds to such despicable actions. They will receive greater condemnation. And now condemnation is the action of punishing someone for the wrong they have committed. These scribes, are going to receive an even greater condemnation compared to others, for their actions are not only hypocritical, but they're evil to others, widows no less. For we know that throughout scripture, the protection and honouring of widows is of utmost importance to God. Psalm 68 verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God protects widows. And so those who would try and fleece widows off their income, well, they were gonna get an even deeper, greater condemnation when it comes to judgment day. Well, let's continue, Mark 12 and then verse 41. And as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. After this interaction with the scribes and the crowd, Jesus moves off to the side and goes and sits down quietly and observes the people coming from the temple courts and going out from the temple courts. Jesus sat opposite the temple treasury which is situated in the corner of the court of the women. Now at the divide between the court of the women and the temple treasury sat 13 collecting boxes known as the trumpets. Essentially, they were offering boxes for financial donations. Each trumpet had a specific purpose, to buy corn or to buy wine or to buy oil for the sacrificial system. So each trumpet was essentially an offering bag, an offering box for specific things for the temple. Now, many would place a donation in these trumpets, often quite considerable amounts. The added advantage is it was in a public gallery, a public view, so you could become well known as someone that was good financial givers in the temple. So Jesus sat off to the side and watched how these rich individuals would come and place their large offerings in these trumpets, kind of making themselves look good, fairly similar towards how the scribes were trying to make themselves look good in these robes and the places they sat. In this case, it was all about the offering. Verse 42... And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Notice the connection here between these verses and the earlier ones. We first look at how the scribes mistreat the widows. We're not given an example of how they do that, except that they take the money from the widows. But now we get an example of how the widow behaves. This widow comes into the court of women and quietly goes to the offering box and places her offering in. We're told that she places two copper coins. Specifically, the name of these coins was lepton, which literally translates as thin one. They were the thinnest and lowest value coin in existence. Two of these lepton made a penny, which equated to less than 1% of an average daily wage of a labourer, less than 1% of a daily wage was to lepton. And it's fair to say that the amount she placed is possibly the lowest value you could possibly give to the temple. And Jesus makes this incredible statement to his disciples. This widow who gave so little, less than 1% of a daily wage has given more than all those that have contributed so far. And I want you to see that Jesus doesn't say, has many or anybody given so far? He says, everyone, all of those who have given so far, not a single individual has given more. And if you add up all of the individuals, they still wouldn't have given more than this widow and her leptons. What is Jesus meaning here then by saying that she has given the most? Clearly she's given the least, but that is only the case when we consider her giving as an earthly giving rather than a spiritual giving. And we see Jesus getting to his point in verse 44 for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on." Everyone else who was given uh, their funds and their resources to the temple had done so in abundance. Essentially they were comfortable They had all their bills met, they had put their savings aside, they had been able to buy some luxuries and then they considered what they could give to the temple and in great comfort and abundance they came and in some sense of showing off of how much they had, they gave in plenty. But their giving didn't really change their lives. It was the extra that they had left over. Sure, they might have gone without a couple of things that particular day, but their giving didn't hurt them. In their abundance and in their comfort, they gave only what would not change their lifestyle. Yet this widow was poor. She barely had anything to live off. In fact, as she went to her purse to see what she could give in the temple and give to the Lord's work, all she found was two lepton, One penny. Instead of keeping anything for herself, she gave it all to the temple. And after her giving, she had nothing to feed herself, nothing to secure her future, no financial security whatsoever. She had no comfort, no luxuries, no earthly hope of figuring out the next day. Yet she gave all she had. Interestingly, there are going to be some, and most likely these are wealthy individuals, that will be thinking, well, that's reckless. She shouldn't have done that. It was naive of her, even foolish of her to give everything. Yet the very things you accuse her of is what made her contribution so great. She was utterly surrendered to God and completely faithful in her trust to him. And those who would condemn such an offering are the very individuals who live in comfort, knowing nothing of true faith in the Lord's provision. That's what makes this widow so great, her trust in the Lord. That's what makes the scribes therefore so foolish. They're selfish. Greed, we have two behaviors, trust in the Lord, which leads to incredible levels of giving, or foolish and selfish greed, which leads to sin. Now I said at the beginning of this sermon, we would be looking at true service and true giving. let me now just bring some application from this passage, it's, it's not a long passage, it's not necessarily even a deep passage, but it brings some real life and meaning into how we should be responding to Jesus and to the giving of his work. And so I want to allow God's word to shape our thinking. And so taking these two small passages, let them shape our thinking as we go through some application points. At Firstly, there's a warning against prominence in this passage, a warning against prominence. Notice the difference between the scribes and the widow. The scribes made it all about them, all about their importance, all about their notoriety, all about how good they were. The widow humbly gives to the work of God, seemingly unseen, almost ignored by the crowds in the temple. Yet it was not the scribes who were praised for their service, but the widow it was not the prominence of the scribes, but the humility of the widow that drew the attention of Jesus. Luke 9.23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If we're to be a follower of Jesus, we must deny ourselves, meaning we do not seek the limelight, we do not seek importance, we do not seek uh, notoriety. Instead, we pick up the cross of Christ and follow lifting Jesus name high Matthew 23:12 whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted so not only does Jesus command that we do not seek prominence but he also warns us that if we do we will be humbled and reminded that we are nothing compared to the Lord Jesus Christ what does this mean practically uh, this week in our service for Jesus well i think it's fairly simple really Your credentials, your achievements, your years of service, your skills, your abilities, your reputation, your desires and your service should and can only amount to one thing, Jesus. All too often we have people in church that say, look what I did or seek to be put in positions of trust because they have the right opinion and their voice is the right voice. Yet as servants of Jesus, all but we can say is look to Jesus, look to his righteousness, look to his sacrifice, look to his attributes, look to his character, do not look at me. For Christ is the righteous, holy, set apart Lord of all. And I'm just a wretched sinner that by his grace, he would use at this time prominence and the seeking of such a position put you in the place of Jesus. And a word of warning from scripture, you will be humbled. You cannot even begin to compare to the holiness and righteousness of Jesus. So do not take his place. You're not the most important person in the room. Your opinion is not the most important and your service is not the greatest. Jesus will always take the highest honour. It is His name that's the greatest, it is His righteousness that's the greatest and it's His service to the point of death on the cross that will always be the greatest. So we must not be like the scribes and seek prominence. The word of warning is that we'll be humbled if we do so. The second thing I want to bring out this passage is a warning against financial religion, a warning against financial religion. There's a major rise in our society of what is coined financial religion of what many of us know as the prosperity gospel movement. At core, financial religion puts money at the centre Give to the church and God will give you riches. Give to this famous preacher and God will bless you with riches. Give money to the healer and you will be healed. It doesn't matter really, the subject matter, for in every situation there is a significant financial contribution that is needed. This was the scribes. Give money to us as you listen to our long-winded spiritual prayers of blessing and the Lord will bless you. I want to be very clear today. We're learning from our passage that giving is a biblical thing. Yet where the scribes go wrong and where prosperity gospel goes wrong is they make money the centre, the very core of what they do, rather than Jesus and his name being lifted high. In the book Defining Deception by Costi Hinn, in the chapter about master of manipulation, Costi writes, if any teacher tells you the gospel promises prosperity, power or material reward, their message, is not of God. Do you see that? The scribes were not of God. They were focused on themselves, the message of prosperity, not from God, because it's from a false teacher. You didn't give so you can get, rather, you gave because that was your service to King Jesus or to the Lord's work. You don't give so you can look good, you give so that before a holy God you are seen as obedient and God honouring. Don't be like the scribes by making it all about money, money, money. More than that, we as a church need to make sure we're not about money, money, money. Instead, we're to be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And as a church, we're to be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Do you get the point here? Prosperity and prominence and money, religion, financial religion and prosperity gospel is all about the money. Where the church and believers in Christ need to be all about Jesus. For money doesn't save. Salvation belongs to our Lord, not material wealth. The third thing I want to pull out from today's passage is that real giving is sacrificial. Real giving is sacrificial. On the flip side to giving so you can get some from a blessing, real giving is truly sacrificial. Giving shouldn't need coaxing out. It shouldn't need some flashy video to convince you to give, or it shouldn't need a reward. For you to give all of this prosperity and financial religions all talk about give so you get something back you get some form of reward give a little bit of money and you'll get healing give a little bit of this and you'll get that where true real giving is sacrificial giving to the lord to jesus and his church is sacrificial now what do we mean by that when we say sacrificial well often people will say something like this give up that Starbucks coffee in the morning and give to the Lord instead or tighten your shopping bill by a tenner a week and give that tenner to the Lord. Now I'm going to be really blunt with us today. If that's your view of sacrifice then it is utter nonsense. Think about biblical sacrifice, Abraham willing to offer his son to the Lord, the lamb killed to save the people in Exodus at the Exodus Passover, Daniel's safety and security, sacrifice to honour God in a foreign land, and how can we forget about the sacrifice of Jesus who so willingly gave his life for you and me so that we would be set free from our sin? Does that sacrifice of the Bible sound like anything like forgoing a Starbucks in the morning? You see, biblical giving is not about the size of your gift, but about the sacrifice. It's not about giving up a few things so that you can give a little extra to the Lord. It's about giving to the point it hurts, like Abraham giving his son, like Jesus giving his life. The widow could have given one copper coin. Remember, she had two, but she gave two. She didn't keep one for herself and one for the Lord. She gave it till the point of hurting. She gave both coins. Just look at 2 Corinthians 8 and from verse two. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul, a missionary apostle for God, was helped by the giving of the church in Macedonia. Notice they didn't just give a little, nor did they even give a lot, rather they gave more than what was comfortable. They gave until they hurt. Why? Because they begged Paul to be part of the ministry of Jesus, to be part of the gospel message being proclaimed in the world, to be part of souls being saved, and to help the ministry of the gospel of Jesus bring transformation to people's lives. What does this mean for us? Well, we as a church have been truly blessed by the giving of our members and those further afield in the last year. It has allowed us to hire a new media assistant to go about online church. It has allowed us to consider ways of hiring more staff in the future. It's allowed us to start more ministry so that we can take the gospel out to the community. And it's allowed us to look at ways of how we can support missions and gospel outreach further afield. It has allowed us to give to local charities and to support those in need during the COVID pandemic. And so we have to put our hands up and say we have been truly blessed by those who have sacrificially given. But why do I say that we need to do better? You see, all that sounds good, yet we do need to do better. In my three years of serving at Lincoln Baptist Church, we have not hurt for finances. Not once. The Lord has provided, and more than that, he's abundantly provided for all our needs. Sure, we have been generous as things have arisen over the years, but we cannot say that we've truly lived up to the example of the Macedonian church and gave beyond our means, begging to be part of global ministry in Christ. And more than that, let me just go from the church setting to the individual level. When was the last time you reviewed your giving to God? When was the last time you looked at your finances and asked, does the way I handle my finances scream that I want to be part of the gospel message going out to the lost souls who will be saved and brought to the kingdom of God? That type of giving, that's truly sacrificial giving that goes beyond your means and beyond what is comfortable will always lead to a lifestyle change. That type of giving leads to significant impact of life as you know it. I love how Francis Chan put it, downsizing so that others might upgrade is biblical, beautiful and nearly unheard of. I need to move on because I do have two other points I want to get through. So let me just say this. Over the coming months and years, I will work tirelessly to lead us as a church to give to the point where it hurts, to beg the Lord that to use everything we have for his kingdom's sake, to bring down our reserve, to bring up our giving, so that we would be known as a church that doesn't give a little bit extra, but rather we sacrificially give to the point where it hurts. Why? Why? because I am that confident in the gospel of Jesus. I stake everything we have on it because it's the gospel of Jesus that will transform lives, that will increase the kingdom of God and that will save souls from their sin. So I have no interest in us as a church holding finances. I have no interest in our church growing as a wealthy church, none at all. We are to actively work our way towards poverty as we give to others for the sake of Christ. I ask you this question, will you join me on that journey of financial generosity? Not for what we get back, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of lost souls that still need to hear about Jesus. Let your finances this week scream the begging of being part of God's work and the gospel transforming lives. I do need to move on. Let me go to our fourth point, which is real giving is reckless. Real giving is reckless. I can't tell you how many times I have heard in the church, we need to be good stewards when it comes to giving and money. Yes, we are to be good stewards of the Lord's finances and resources, but often this phrasing is used to actually curtail giving and to thwart true and real giving. Look at the example of the widow. Look at what she does and look at what Jesus defines as great. She gives everything she has. She gives all her savings, all her daily income, all her wealth and everything she has left to the work of the Lord. She gives to a reckless level. She trusts the Lord so deeply. She seeks the word of God so passionately. She gives everything. There's nothing left for her. You see, real giving is reckless. Reckless because it cares not for this world but entirely for the kingdom of God. Real giving doesn't think about retirement or savings accounts, or even whether you're gonna own a house in your life or not. Real giving speaks of complete trust in the Lord's work and the Lord providing for our needs. Real giving speaks of hope in the kingdom of God rather than hope from anything in this world. The world views this giving as reckless. Why help others? Help yourself. Why pay for missionaries to spread the name of Jesus? Secure your retirement instead. Why pay for Bibles to go into schools? Pay for your own children to have everything that they want. Why pay for students to train as pastors and missionaries? Pay for yourself to go on a good holiday. The world views biblical giving as reckless. But let me ask you this. Would the world think your giving to Jesus is reckless? Or would they think it's just a little good deed you do at the end of the month? John Wesley phrased it this way, when a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy and prosperous. Now if that man, when he gets all he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. I know I'm going to get emails about this tomorrow, so I might as well just go the whole way. There are some who don't have a clue don't have a clue what it means to truly rely on God for they've never found themselves in the position of surviving on the Lord's provision or find themselves giving to the point where it truly hurts their lifestyle. Right now, those individuals are likely looking at this screen and getting a bit hot under the collar, frustrated and thinking I've probably gone too far. Yet look at what Jesus says. The widow who gave everything she had was better than the rich who gave some of what they had. If you want to be biblical, if you want to be reckless in your giving and truly see expansion of God's work, I can point you to missionary students who are desperately in need to pay for their missionary college funds. I can point you to families who are going without on a daily basis. I can point you to training expenses not being met. I can point you to individuals who feel left behind in the world and have nothing to their name. We're not asking you to give a tenor to absolve your conscience. We are asking you to be reckless to be all for Jesus and blow these issues out of the water so that you will know that you have been part of God's work, that you will have funded missionaries to take the gospel out to the world. You'll have funded pastors to know the Bible and teach the Bible so they don't fall into false doctrines, that you'll have changed families' lives because you decided that Jesus comes first, not yourself. Give this week to the point of recklessness. Trust the Lord have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fifth and finally, and and with this I will come to an end, I promise, I think caring for widows and widowers, caring for widows and widowers. We have widowers and widows in the church here at Lincoln Baptist. My own mother is one of them. Do you think it's right that the widow in today's passage was so poor that all she had was 1% of a day's wages? While the temple, Grew in wealth. Widows went without. We must make sure that we here at Lincoln Baptist will not let that happen. Each and every widow and widower needs to be cared for. If we have ten, then we'll care for ten. If we have a hundred, we'll care for a hundred. We care in whatever way is needed, financially, practically, prayerfully, spiritually, emotionally. We will do all in the joy of Christ because it's our privilege to come alongside those widows and widowers and serve them in the name of Jesus. It's been nearly 18 years since my father passed away. In those 18 years, my mother, as a widow, has raised two boys, has worked tirelessly over 18 years to serve the kingdom by raising two sons. She has helped raise five grandchildren, she has served the Lord in the church and she now serves full-time at New Tribes Mission. She is just one of many in our church who have dedicated their lives even after an extreme trauma of losing their spouse to the work of the Lord, to the spreading of Jesus' name and to living as an example of the Lord's mercy and grace. We have another widow in our church who during the COVID-19 pandemic has skilled up, has learned how to use Zoom and YouTube to stay connected with the church and often sends messages of blessing to others. We have a widower who works countless hours in the church so that Jesus' name can be lifted high through the work of our lift ministries and through the work of other ministries in our community. We have another widower who cares for individual after individual, forgoing his own pain of losing his spouse and instead, Caring for others. Let me ask you this as a a closing question, really. What are you doing to care for widows and widowers in our church? By all example, they are caring for you. So what are you doing to care for the widows and widowers in our church? Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I want to say this today, that Lincoln Baptist be god's shield around the widows and widowers as they take refuge in their moment of distress we want our church to be a church where widows and widowers are not poor along the lines of the edge of the temple dropping in a little bit offering and then disappearing and everyone ignores them we want widowers and widowers to be uplifted to be cared for financially practically spiritually emotionally we want to be by their side as the shield of god as they serve him every day. What are you doing to serve widows and widowers of our church? Before I pray, if you want to talk about anything that has been said today, if you want to help in any form of way, or if you need help, please contact us via social media, our church website or the email address, admin at We want to help you in your time of need and we need people to help others in their time of need. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have to be saved. That privilege to have our sins forgiven. That privilege to be set free. Father, we pray that in our lives we be an example of that. As we serve you, not for prominence, but to see your name lifted high. Father, we pray that we would be reckless in our giving that we would throw this world's thoughts about finances to the side and we would trust in your unfailing love. Father, if you can forgive our sins through Jesus Christ, then you can provide for our needs every day. So help us give give to the point where it hurts. Help the poor have their needs met. Help missionaries be trained. Help pastors be trained. Help ministries start up so we can spread the gospel. Help us pay for Bibles and schools, Bibles and universities. Help us come alongside people who want to know more about you and help them with books and resources and care. Father, help us help widows and widowers come alongside them prayerfully, practically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, so that we can be a caring church Father, help us never dare be like the scribes. Instead, help us live that example of the widow who was greater than all else, for out of her poverty, she gave everything she had. So Father, we hand this over to you, praying that you would disrupt our lifestyles, praying that you would turn our lives upside down, and at the end, your name would be lifted high and your kingdom would expand. We pray this, In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.